Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. Listen up. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. You are listening to Dove Valley Deep Divers with Eric Trickle and Lance Sanderson. Ball comes out of the hands of Newton. It's on the ground, picked up by T.J. Ward at the four-yard line. Vaughn Miller did it again. On Overtime Media. Good afternoon, good evening, and good morning, ladies and gentlemen, depending on where you're listening to this. I am your host for the night, Eric Trickle. This is Dove Valley Deep Divers, and Lance, there was some switching around and everything, so Lance isn't here tonight, but instead I'm joined by my good friend and colleague, Nick Kendall. Nick, how's it going, man? It's been a week since the Broncos had their pick. Haven't had that week to sleep on it. You feeling any better? I am feeling better. Um, I'm still exhausted trying to catch up on everything, and uh, we're here to spoil Doctor Strange tonight. No, I know both of us were nerding out yesterday. Uh, the part with the uh, the aliens, you know, came out. I I just like to always say aliens. Although in Marvel, I guess that would be make some sense. I'm, maybe, maybe not. Who knows? Um, but uh, yeah, no, it's good to be here. We're gonna be live back to back days. Uh, obviously, Lance took my spot on Tuesday because I was at Paul McCartney uh, with Natalie. And uh, tonight's Dove Valley Deep Divers. I don't have a DVDD hat, uh, so I'm wearing the uh, Broncos for Breakfast hat, but it goes better with my Iowa sweatshirt. It had to represent. Um, but yeah, no, it's good to be here. Excited to talk about today's topic because it's something that maybe maybe we're a little bit too close to the draft still to kind of get to this point. But still, I mean, George Payton's kind of hinted at it, and it makes sense to kind of get to where we're getting to. Yeah, one of my favorite spoilers for movies is words will be spoken. Mm-hmm. I've got I've made a lot of people mad dropping that one. But yeah, the topic today, it was interesting. And we talked about it a little bit when we were live for the draft. Veterans and guys lower on the depth chart, maybe not like multiple year veterans, guys that second entering their second year, things like that, that might be just pushed off the team come, you know, that time for the regular season. Still really is early to get into it, but it's a nice conversation to have especially with the fact that the Broncos have five picks in next year's draft and they could use these, some of these players possibly to, you know, flip them for added draft capital. But before we get into that, we got to do our normal announcements. Yeah, guys, obviously welcome in uh, DVDD. Follow us here at, at DVDD underscore pod at mile high huddle. Also, make sure you join our Facebook communities and like, subscribe, and share to the show. And we want to say hello to everybody coming in. Now that the manscape's out of the way, Dylan's in the house. What's up, Broncos country? Make sure you guys hit that like button on the way in and subscribe if you haven't already. Good friend of the show, Paul. Hello, Broncos country. Nick and uh, Eric, of course. And Mike S. in the house, too. What's up? Jason Fitz is in the house. Chase Wellner saying evening, gents. Kathy's here. Howdy, fam. How do you, Kathy? Hope you're doing well. Hopefully that... Uh, that read wasn't too much for you. Every time I do the manscape reads, I, I'm just, I'm about to lose it. I just like, there's a quiver in my voice of about to laugh. So uh, hopefully that was not too much for you, but uh, Travis Scott is here as well. What's up Broncos country and uh, Malcolm Brown. Haven't seen Malcolm in a bit. Hello from Homer, Alaska. Eric, how close are you to Homer? I know Alaska is like the size of, it's like, you know, it's like an hour, hour and a half drive South. Oh, wow. So you're pretty really, close. It's beautiful area to visit. A lot of good places to hike and everything. Cool. Well, I need to get up there at some point. Roy in the house, too, saying good evening, Eric and Nick and Scott. If he's behind the scenes, he is. Uh, looking forward for all the conversations. Absolutely. And uh, Leroy Cortez in the house as well, saying hello. So, uh, Eric, uh, let's get into it again. You asked me earlier, uh, 
your thoughts on the draft since, you know, we were now, I guess, just under a week out because the draft would be happening right now. Uh, but I guess they'd be announcing Nick Benito almost one week ago right now. Uh, how are you feeling about it at this point? Let's, let's talk about that first because we haven't really had a chance to, you know, fl- flesh all that out. Well, I mean, as after seeing the Inuiza Rike pick on Saturday, I started to come around a little bit more on Nick Benito. I still have major concerns against him against the run or with him against the run. And it's it's an issue that you don't really see develop a whole lot in the NFL with these guys that are drafted after, you know, pick 32 or so, that they just don't take these strides in certain areas. So I think that it's always going to be an issue with him. I, I'm i curious to see how much Denver can do to help cover it up with how they use him um, and get him to be effective, I guess. And I mean, one of the things that you talked about is kind of using him off ball a little bit, being more chase instead of and reactive instead of on the attack, holding down the point. That could be one way of doing it. Mm-hmm. Getting stronger on the defensive line. I mean, DJ Jones should be a huge help against the run as a run defender. And then Uwazarike, I think, should be a big help. So there's things they can do. Greg Dulcich, watching the behind the Broncos, the episode that's covering the draft, it seemed kind of like there was a possibility where they would have taken Dulcich at 64 and said they got Nick Benito. Then they were willing to trade down out of 75 and got what they thought was a great deal, moved down five spots and still landed it. A guy that from that, it looks like um, Nathaniel Hackett absolutely wanted. Uh, I'm pretty sure there's some there that, you know, Russell Wilson wanted him. What was interesting to me though, watching that was how they described him in that George Payton saying he's an, he's a good run blocker or a good blocker. And then Nathaniel Hackett saying that he brings something that this offense doesn't have. Yeah. I mean, I think some of it for Nathaniel Hackett might be hair envy. You know, that's going on there with the, uh, Nathaniel Hackett obviously hasn't, uh, doesn't have much growing on up top there uh, with Dulcich having probably the, some of the best hair in the draft. I should have bumped his grade up just for the amazing hair. Um, we got a chance for some head and shoulders uh, stuff here with Denver with Dulcich, no doubt about it. But, I did find that interesting. Also, the Damari Mathis hype. I'm um, just talking about that behind the Broncos scene and Gary Leeds Palmer coming in with the stars. Thank you so much, Gary. Um, obviously, there's stuff that we've heard, and then this the production comes out from the team. How much of this do you think is edited for the painting of the narrative? Uh, just, you know, talking about Damari Mathis. Oh, we love Damari Mathis. We'll take him at 64. Don't take him until the fourth round. You trade down to 75 to 80, trade completely out of 96. Uh, so, just some of the stuff that, how obviously the stuff was said, but how it's taped you know pasted together uh creating this m- narrative that you don't you don't see the parts where they're haggling for the phone trades and moving up or moving down from 64 i mean even watching it you can see where there's definitely these cuts where they edited out things not i'm not just talking about the bleeping of names that you hear because you hear them talking at 64 it really came down to nick benito or a stack linebacker named and then you hear the bleep safe assumption there i think is chad muma but we'll never really know and they'll never yeah. really come out and say it. But um, it is, but I think there's some that you can point on to with Damari Mathis is that when they're talking about 64 and waiting to go on there, you hear them mention a few names and three of them are Benito, Dulcich and Mathis. And here they are. They had picked 96, 75. They're willing to move down five spots. They still got Dulcich. Then at 96, they're willing to completely trade out. So it makes me wonder how much of a consideration there actually was for Mathis at 64, or if he was like that plan E F G guy that was there and they just were willing to risk it. And cause we know that, I mean, Peyton talked about it after day two, 
that there were still like six, seven guys on the board that they liked, and they're sitting at 115, 116. There's no doubt, obviously, that Mathis is part of that if they'd like to met if they're considering him a little bit at 64. But yeah, it's definitely edited down to where it's not going to be such a huge um they try to cut back on that of how much they loved them and everything kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. And Scott, some more people coming in here. We got a five dollar super coming in from Mark Hoynack. Go ahead, Eric, take this one. Thank you for the five dollar donation, Mark. We appreciate that. He says, I heard on 105 the 105.5 FM that the Broncos will have multiple Monday night games this year, getting a little respect for a change. And I'm the biggest thing is when you have a quarterback and you're going to actually be contending, it's you, you have that chance, not just multiple Monday night football games, Thursday night, Sunday night football, primetime games. You have a good chance for them. I'd be curious to see how many. I, there's a limit on it, right? If I'm not mistaken, there's a limit on how many primetime games. I think so. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if Denver's maxed out on that. I mean, the intrigue with Russell Wilson coming over, new coaching staff, AFC West itself is going to be a massive, you know, arms race. So going to be a lot of fun. Broncos are in back in the national perspective. Going to have to win some games to stay there. Obviously, you know, you never know. I think I just saw numbers more and more coming out. Broncos win total is at 10. Uh, on the dot, Kansas City is at 10 and a half. Los Angeles Chargers at 10 as well, tied with Denver. And then I think the Raiders at about eight and a half. So uh, that, that adds up about where I'd put them as well. Uh, but we'll see. And thank you so much, Mark. We appreciate you. Hector's in the house here from uh, Mexico. Good to see you, Hector. Richard Lane in the house from Facebook. If you guys haven't done so yet, you're joining us on Facebook today. Make sure you click the uh, over on this side. I'm typically where Eric is right now. Make sure you click the thumbs up uh, if you haven't done so yet. Uh, also, Jeff Noyes in the house. Hello, Eric, Nick, and Broncos country. Good to see you, Jeff. Uh, Jason O'Neill's in the house. Michigan in the house. How's Broncos country tonight? Doing pretty good. Tired. Ex- uh, ready for an adult beverage at some point here. Uh, I'm probably going to do that over dinner. Uh, Trayvon Littles coming in. Hey, Broncos country. Good to see you. And uh, Michael Ronquillo, of course. Good evening, Eric and Nick on Dove Valley Deep Divers. Let's ride and go Broncos. Greg Smith, we always love to say aloha to you, Greg. And uh, absolutely, I want to circle back to a few things that you said here. We're obviously talking about the behind the Broncos uh, situation here. Um, kind of funny. I looked for it the other day. I could not find it anymore. But the Broncos at one point had a, they called it at first, building the Broncos. Like one of the ones when Han- when Han- uh, George Payton first came, they were like building the Broncos. And then I was like, hey, uh, trademark, just joking. You know, like, because that's Carl and I on Tuesdays. Hey, trademark, this already exists. And uh, I can't find it. I think they scrubbed it. It's gone. And I can't find it on their account. So I don't know if they heard that. I was just, I was just teasing. You guys can. You guys can co-opt it. You don't own it, but I'm fine to, sh- to share it, uh, Broncos, if you're listening. But uh, I want to circle back to you real quick on something you mentioned here. So you talked about Benito and Dulcich and whatnot. Uh, the Broncos taking them. How much do you think they actually, obviously, they're going to say that they love those guys. If they took them, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm, I'm excited for where they got them as well. Uh, but trading back from 75 to 80, still getting Dulcich, that's fine. Trading completely out of 96 and still getting Mathis at 115. What Should we read into that at all uh, from the Broncos? Is that more so like, you know, the the unknown of the other picks is better than the bird in the hand that would have been Dulcich at 75 or Mathis at 96? Well, in building the, in, in that, uh, behind the Broncos in that episode, they mentioned that they weren't afraid of anybody from 76 to 79 taking a tight end. So okay. they, they were they were fine willing to move back on that. And then this is, for 96, they don't really talk about it, but my assumption here is that they had a high value on getting that third-round pick next year and that um, there was enough players left on their board that they really liked that they were willing to um, move, move out of that position. Having those two early, pretty early, 
day uh, day three picks that they were fine sitting and waiting. And uh, I think they got a little lucky there with Mathis. I think that they were expecting him to go. I was expecting him to go before it, but uh, yeah. it, it worked out for them. So I guess w- what's the thing you can't? Oh, there's a saying that's I can't think of the saying. It's like you can't question the you can't question the results or something like that because with how it worked out, yep. it worked out how they wanted. So, yep, absolutely. Manuel coming in saying representing Broncos country from El Paso, Texas. Uh, let's ride down there in El Paso. Also, we got Billy Holman, Broncos in the South here, uh, from New Orleans here. From Billy Holman, good to see you, Malcolm. Coming in with an interesting question for us. I'll kick this one to you first, Eric. Sorry, I kind of took over hosting here. I put some up, but if you want to <laughs> grab it back, let me know. Uh, Malcolm Brown, which position on defense is hardest for you to evaluate? This is easy for me. It's it's easy for me too, and it's just simply because of how hard it is to see it's defensive backs, corners, or safeties because you have to get all 22 film to really see them and really break them down. And that's, that can be quite hard to get for college football. Yeah. For me, it's the safety position. I mean, from the broadcast film, you know, they're off the screen for many plays. It's kind of like trying to judge an outfielder uh, in baseball, but imagine if you only had, you know, 17 games to go off of how many are actually going to their area. You know, you you see the flashes and whatnot, but a lot of times if a safety is doing great work, um, you're not seeing them, right? Because they're keeping everything in front of them and uh, they're not creating those explosive plays in the back end by being out of position. So I think it's definitely safety. How many plays a game you actually that matter for them? I think it's changing a little bit um, because versatility in the NFL is key in the defense. So the more it used to be, you really wanted these superstar, you know, dichotomous or, uh, you know, single niche kind of players. Like uh, you had your Earl Thomas single high, who I saw Earl Thomas was just arrested again or something, or there's a warrant out for him. Maybe the Broncos didn't do the worst trading away from that spot. Cause he's had a lot of issues since uh, leaving St. Uh, Seattle, but um, used to be, you know, maybe the cover three era one's free safety, one deep safety, and then one that's essentially a linebacker. Now it's like, how many hats can your defense play? Uh, you want them to play box. You want them to play slot. You want them to play z- zone. You want them to play man too deep, single high. So the more you can do the better. And I think there's more like it's Dax. It's the Daxon Hill conversation. Yeah. I want my safety to be able to play a slot. Guess what? Daxon Hill played a bleep ton of slot. He's going to be okay there. And one thing, too, that catching up on it out of Cincinnati is that there's a lot of talk about him playing boundary, too. I thought he would be a slot slash safety, but there's something about him playing boundary, and that's something that he can do. And it is. And that's something that we kind of talked about a little bit when we're alive after the Benito pick or when we're alive for the draft with the Benito pick is that you kind of want defenders that can do everything well because you don't want to be caught with your pants down with the wrong guy out there on the on the field. And at the edge, I mean, being able to have a guy who's such a weakness against the run get caught against the run we saw that last year with malik reed and how often he was driven back you don't want that and it's kind of the answer to the the offense that it, the, the way the offense is changing the more you can do on defense the better whereas on offenses you kind of want specialized skill sets that can that can excel in one area yeah Absolutely. And uh, Chase coming in also saying it might be the inside linebacker because college teams don't always ask a lot of them. That's why the transition can be hard. That's a good point as well. Um, It's one reason that teams, no position has busted in the first round at the rate as the stack linebacker, I guess is what we start calling them. Um, And part of that is because, you know, you're not asking them to play in space very often. You're not asking them to play man coverage or even hook zone over the slot. So uh, those reps are not super replicable. And the other thing is it's not like, cornerback or edge or defensive line where you know the guys who have the measurables tend to hit pretty well for linebacker it's intelligence processing first the athleticism and the size and everything comes secondary to that and that is something that next week a little bit of a preview for it we have a good friend of mine 
godfather of my daughter, Coach Luke Poglace, is joining us next mm-hmm. week. And he's been a running back, wide receiver coach. Now he's a special teams coordinator and a linebacker coach. So we can definitely touch on him about with the linebackers a little bit too. And uh, just got to make sure that you mentioned to him that linebackers don't matter. Uh, they don't matter to the extent of uh, the 1980s, you know, hype for him. But uh, Travis Weber coming at the stars. Thank you so much, Travis, saying good evening, Eric, Nick, Scott, and Broncos country. Caught the new podcast this morning. Uh, looking to learn more about Broncos history that I haven't uh, learned about yet. Yeah. Make sure you guys are checking that out uh, with Thomas over there on Monday mornings. Uh, Travis continues here. I feel Peyton uh, did well with the draft, despite where we were in the draft and not having the capital. Yeah. What do you think about that? Uh, Peyton doing pretty well in the draft. I feel like the grades have been a mixed bag. Troy, Chad Reuters gave him straight A's pro football focus gave him a B plus Mel Kuyper gave him a B minus. I gave them uh, a B B minus B as well. Uh, what do you think? Well, um, my overall grade would probably be a C plus B minus just simply because of how I viewed the view of the players. And there's an article up on mylighthuddle.com that gives the values of the draft class against my board, as well as the top 300 consensus board. Um, and Denver was second worst value in both of those. So mm. it's a little bit rough, definitely some reaches, but outside of the value aspect of it, I think they had, targeted players that they were able to get for specific areas that they wanted to like Nick Benito. They specifically were looking for a pass rusher and that's something that they really talked about. Um, Greg Dulcich with his receiving ability and ability to stretch the field. Um, Damari Mathis and his versatility Montreal Washington. They wanted to return They were dying to get him. That's the roughest one because everybody I've spoken to and everything I've seen and heard is that no other team was considering drafting him. So it was a little bit of a rough reach there. Luke Wattenberg, I don't mind. There's been a clip going around of him getting absolutely whomped on by uh, Matthew Butler Butler at the East-West Shrine game. And it was one rep, and, I mean, there's definitely going to be issues with Wattenberg. But I I think that he can come in and start start right away this year. Obviously, it's going to be a good competition. So, yeah, I'd give it – I'd probably go B-minus overall. Uh, Phil McLaughlin with the stars here. Thank you so much, Phil. And – Appreciate your constant support, um, man. Coming in constantly over on Facebook. You're one of the superstars over there on Facebook for us. We appreciate that. Uh, Roy Osborne coming in, and I'll kick this one to you, Eric. Can you comment on Damari Mathis, cornerback from Pittsburgh, drafted by the Broncos, 115 overall, and his play? Uh, don't know too much about him. Yeah, I mean, he's versatile. I think that he's more of a slot safety in the NFL. I don't think – I don't like him as much on the boundary. Um, but, I mean, the dude's physical. He's smart. Um Needs to clean up a little, some bunch of technical aspects to his game and be more consistent, especially with his tackling. Sometimes doesn't always wrap and drive through like you kind of want to see. But I mean, physicality, he's not afraid to hit. He's not afraid to um, mix it up or anything like that. Very physical against the run on the outside, something you like to see. And honestly, I mean, with what we've seen from Kareem Jackson over the last few years, his play style is not that, isn't that, is quite similar to Kareem Jackson's with this aspect of willing to be physical. I don't think that he's as much of a risk to hurt his teammates like we've seen with Kareem Jackson, but I mean, Kareem Jackson, he goes for the big hit. He doesn't always, isn't always consistent with his tackling technique always. And sometimes almost tackles as a result. Um, I think that he's a little bit more athletic than Jackson. I think he's got a really high football IQ, nothing but praise from him coming out of Pittsburgh. And I mean, this is a guy that he can provide depth at so many different positions, even though I have concerns with him on the boundary, that is something that he can still do and just not something full time in my opinion. 
And I mean, just with the talking about wearing all the hats, that's something that really stands about out about Mathis. So he played cover four heavy scheme there at Pittsburgh and pretty much left on an island. You know, they cut the field into four segments and those guys have the zone zones all the way back. You know, two cornerbacks and the two safeties uh, moving back in that. So he's got some versatility there. I am uh, curious to see where his home ends up being. But you like the athletic profile. You like the plays on the ball. What you don't like is the technique. He gets a little bit grabby and uh, that's a concern. But I think he can project. I'm going to push back a little bit with you on the projecting more as a slot safety, just because I think that you're going to see the Broncos use a lot of off coverage and uh, you can protect a cornerback a lot more with off coverage if they are quick enough and physical enough. And uh, we kind of saw that with the Rams. No team over the last two years has played more off coverage than the Rams. Uh, They played Demarius Williams played like three times as many snaps out wide as a five, nine corner rather than the slot, because they are playing off coverage. You just have to be physical to the point of attack and whatnot. You don't need to be that crazy of an athlete. If you have a little bit more room to negotiate with it, you do need to be long though. You do need to be physical. I think Mathis can do that. Could he end up as a slot safety? Absolutely. I just think that given what we were talking about earlier, the versatility, the different hats you have to wear going beyond safety in this game with cornerbacks as well, you could see him moving about everywhere. Yeah, it's definitely possible, and it's it's just one of the things where, personally, yeah. I'd be more comfortable on the inside. Yeah. KB, Kenneth Booker comes in, says, hey, what's up, fellas? What player were you surprised ever we passed on? Mine is Abraham Lucas. Um, well, thank you, Kenneth, for showing up. I mean, hope everything's going great in your military career, man. Uh, we miss you at Mile High Huddle. Um, guy that we were surprised passed on, I mean, for me, it's Braxton Jones, especially when we got later on in the draft and how willing they were to keep passing on. But it's not just surprise for me is I want to know why. I'm really curious about why he went as late as he did because I mean leading up to the draft, I've heard not I heard nothing but love and praise for him. So really curious yeah. on that one. Yeah, I mean, guys they passed on. I I can't I mean I'm surprised that Travis Jones fell where he did. I'm surprised that Bernard Raymond fell where he did and he didn't have the arm length stuff, but still the athletic profile was great. Um and at worst case, you know, he could be a decent uh I think could be a decent uh, guard at the next level as well because he's pretty i think he's pretty technical and it sounds like he's a very uh hard worker uh as well you know i'm talking brandon thorne loves him um as far as a worker and his technique so that's one that surprises me a bit we'll see how it plays out um but big surprise big surprise for me isn't so much the broncos it's you know the wide receivers coming off the board like crazy and just the nfl kind of validating our thoughts on that quarterback class just chaos on that regard uh zebulon coming in here one of our big constant consistent facebook supporters in here coming with always good questions good to see you zebulon hope your weekend is gonna be great for you and thanks for joining us friday night uh he says this draft is definitely growing on me and i'm really pumped to see how good these guys can be i feel like a lot of them have high ceiling potential particularly dulcich and the big dtl i can't pronounce the name of awuzarike yep hopefully i'm i'm pronouncing that right uh but yeah no thank you so much zebulon thank you for your thoughts um, he said a lot of these guys have high ceilings, and this actually brings me to a point that I wanted to ask you here, Eric. Uh, you can probably articulate it better than I can, but I keep seeing people compare uh, Nick Benito, you know, smaller, needs to work on the run. Well, here's Von Miller's body type and size, and why why weren't you saying that about Von? Why can't he be the next Von Miller, even though he, you know, measured the same? Uh, so let's shoot that one down real quick, because number two overall pick versus 64, like that's that's unfair to Benito. You know, like that's ugh, that's that's not a fair comparison. I mean, from the point of just body type, I get it. There, there's a similar body type there, but that's where it ends. significantly longer. Yeah, significantly longer. Yeah. Outside of that, it's the comparison ends. I mean, as play style, I mean, 
sure, Vaughn was bendy. He was athletic. He could get around the corner. So can Nick Benito. But Vaughn Miller, throughout the years, one thing that he was consistently underrated for by Broncos fans and fans across the NFL was how good of a run defender he was. Mm-hmm. I mean, dude was great. He, he was one of the better run defending edges in the NFL for so long. And it just, you could just trust him consistently to do what needed to be done. And that's the concern with Nick Benito. And he's got a, he's got a high ceiling, but he's also got a really low floor because of his issues against the run and because of how athletic he is and how much he relies on that as a pass rusher. So he's got one of these uh, pretty, pretty significant boomer bust um, range there. Um, Dulcich, I think has a, not a super high flow, but floor, but a pretty decent high floor with a good high ceiling. I think the both fourth round picks, so they have a high floor, not as high of a ceiling. Mathis, I think, is significantly higher than Uazarike's. I think um, Uazarike, at the very least, is going to be a guy that 10 years from now, he's still managing to hang around in the NFL. Maybe not a full-time starter, but having a decent role on the defensive line just because of his size, his build, his length, and the strength that he brings to it. Um, And it just kind of goes to what kind of trying to pin down what the Broncos are looking for Hmm. with, with George Payton, and it's this draft class kind of last year we got a I mean there was a lot of consistency with it. This year's not as much with the floor and the ceiling aspect of it or the athleticism mm-hmm. or size measurements. And so it's a little bit rough for it. But yeah, the Nick Benito and Vaughn Miller stuff is wacky. <laughs> whack yo. <laughs> Lawrence Rivera, not whack. Uh saying he's been doing some homework on Seattle last season and DJ Metcalf was a monster. Do we need to make that leap for someone huge at wide receiver? Because let me tell you, he took blindsided hits talking about Bruce Wilson here and made the defender fall. I just think Russ needs actually names out there. Uh, maybe he's talking about DK Metcalf taking signed uh, blindsided hits. DK Metcalf's a great fit uh, for Russell Wilson, you know, running big. Uh, you kind of have to <laughs> play different kind of coverage when you have somebody as big and as athletic. It's almost a little bit different uh, than the defensive back defensive backs need to do more wide receivers need to be able to be dominant, you know, an ace card, a trump card, if you will, in one thing. And that's DK Metcalf's size and speed in a straight line. Um, God, especially with Russell Wilson. So I think, I do think that Russell Wilson might have some names out here. Uh, you have four options and Tim Patrick, Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton, maybe even KJ Hamler there as well. Uh, so I think we're going to, let's see what it looks like this year. After that, we might see a pivot um, for the Broncos at wide receiver. Uh, but for this year, you know, with how poor the quarterback play has been recently, Cortland Sutton coming off that injury last year. It's, I think it's too soon to say these guys, none of these guys can't be a, a name. I and mean, was Demarius Thomas or Eric Decker a name when they, when Tim Tebow was thrown to them? Hell no, not, not outside of Broncos country. Then they became big time names. So I think that's, let's wait on that one. Yeah. And I mean, you mentioned the injury with Cortland Sutton and you kind of hinted that, I mean, the change in quarterback is going to be huge. Let's see what they can do yeah. with this quarterback. Jerry Judy's comment that he made, about having a quarterback that can throw the ball the right in the right place. I mean, it's very telling. That was a big issue with the quarterbacks from last year for both of them is their placement wasn't always the best. And yeah. you have Russell Wilson who, yeah, there's going to be issues with his placement, but he's far more consistent with it. Yeah. So we got to see what they can do. Cortland Sutton, before he got hurt, was looking like he was on his way to being a top 10, top eight receiver in the NFL. Jerry Judy still has potential. I mean, how he was used, his injury last year, the quarterback situation, obviously, and it sounds like that they're going to ride with him at the very least until the trade deadline, maybe move on then. But it sounds like they're going to wait until that. Kidji Hamler, I mean, yeah. if he can stay healthy, they want could see what they get, have in him. And Tim Patrick is basically all faithful, all reliable. And uh, there's a lot that Russell Wilson really likes Tim Patrick. Yeah. I mean, 
makes sense. You know, big down the field player, uh, really good blocker as well, physical player. You're going to like that from them. Peter coming in saying, which draft players from the last two drafts get cut this year? Uh, who will be who will they be replaced with? He's guessing Tyree Cleveland and Johnson. I'm not sure who, off the top of my head, who Johnson even Jamar is. Jamar Johnson. Jamar, duh. Okay. Okay, <laughs> that's uh, that's pretty good. Um, I'm going to go with uh, Justin Sternod as one of them. I mean, he was god-awful last year when he was on the field, you know, <laughs> People thought he'd be replacing Josie Jewell. Like he tested worse as an athlete. Doesn't look as good. I don't know what we're talking about here. Um, so Justin Stranod, the fact that the Broncos are pretty, the Broncos themselves are devaluing that stack linebacker spot more. It seems like uh, with how they've attacked this off season. Uh, so that's one that sticks out to me. And one from last season, I guess I'll go. Uh, oh gosh. Uh, Marquis Spencer. <laughs> I guess your seventh round pick. He stuck around as a UDFA. You drafted two interior defensive linemen this year. That'll have an extra year of control. Haven't heard a whisper about Marquis Spencer at all. So I'm guessing he's won that, you know, seventh round pick body da, but those are two that stick out to me. Um, it's actually interesting because that kind of plays into the topic that we have for the night yeah. is um, guys on the, at the bottom of the depth chart and Jamar Johnson and Tyree Cleveland were both guys that made the list. Justice Sinod made the list as well um, to talk about a little bit. Marquis yeah. Spencer didn't. I mean, there was a lot of hype around him towards the end of training camp. And it just seems like that they wanted to, kind of develop them a little bit more. If I remember right, they were playing him more as an edge than an interior defensive mm -hmm. lineman in training camp. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. I think that one thing, though, with the changing of the coaching staff is, and I've seen quite a few people making, you know, their 53-man their roster projections and everything like that already, yeah. and it's still pretty early in that. And it's it's fun to keep track of as we get um, through the all the camps and rookie mini camp, training camp, the – off-season workouts, all those things. Definitely fun to keep track of that. But one thing that I th I'm i comfortable saying now is a lot of old blood that managed to stick around over the last couple of years is probably on their way to be replaced. I wouldn't be shocked if Tyree Cleveland is. I mean, he was part of a special yeah. teams unit that was so bad. And Tyree and special teams is supposed to be where he makes his money. Jamar Johnson it lacks physicality and not really offers up a lot on special teams. And what do we hear Dwayne Stuke say? He wants violence from his special teams players. So I, that definitely can point on him. Justin Sternod, we saw him on the field, and it was absolutely atrocious. And if I remember right, he ended up being regulated to a special teams role and didn't do so well. A yeah. um, couple other guys that come to mind going into the trenches. One is going might get a little bit of pushback, but we've talked about him multiple times on Dove Valley Deep Divers, and I'm pretty sure we talked about him quite a bit when we are live for the draft. Natani Moody, I mean, yeah. doesn't really fit the scheme. They draft. They went and drafted Luke Wattenberg, who's a better scheme fit. They brought in um, Braden Smith as well on the interior offensive line. I mean, there's definitely a way that we can see that uh, Natani Moody get pushed off this roster. Yeah, and something about Natani Moody too is that they mentioned how important versatility is uh, for being cross trained on a lot of things. And Moody is pretty much essentially garter bust. You know, he's not snapping the ball. He's not playing tackle with his. God, did he have sub 32 inch arms? I don't even remember. It was very short arms um, for his uh, body type and position. So he's one that might be pushed out for somebody who offers more versatility. Wattenberg can play all three spots. Graham Glasgow, you could argue, could play all three interior spots, maybe even right tackle. Uh, Dalton Reisner took some snaps at center. I think his rookie camp could play either guard spot or right tackle if you had to. Just seems like the guys who offer the least versatility probably don't have a lot of pathway to, to the team. So especially for the depth spots. Um, Andrew Baker coming in saying, what's up, Nick, Eric, and Scott, and my brethren and sistren there. Uh, 90 degrees, enjoying the grill and outdoor play. Oh, my God, where are you even at that it's 90 degrees? It's been, 
I swear to God, Eric, it's, I mean, I, I can't complain to you about the weather. It's been 50, or 40 to 50 degrees since February 16th, just constantly. Maybe been sunny once out here in Seattle. The La Nina is starting to get to me. I'm going to, I'm getting ticked, <laughs> getting mad. Does it, does that mess with you guys as much too? The La Nina? Um, not really. Okay. Ah, um, but yeah, it's been, it's been pretty chilly here. We just got through some rain and everything and not really sunny. I mean, it's beginning almost middle May and we still have snow on the ground. Yeah. In and some spots. Scott's so, confirming too. Uh, 31 and three quarter arms on Moody. And uh, based on some stuff that I, I heard, and you'd mentioned as well, uh, the Broncos have some length parameters, not just for the tackle spot, but the interior. So yeah. Moody might be somebody for a multitude of reasons that is being shopped and it, you might not get, Great value for him, but let's say you can trade Moody and that seventh round pick you got from the Vikings in the uh, Stephen Weatherly trade. Um, flip him and then get a fifth. You know, you're that fifth then. Guess what you can do? Trade it into three seventh round picks if you want. So that's talking about getting more picks and avenues to do that. Uh, Jason O'Neill coming in and saying, Is there something about Montreal, Washington that the fans are missing? I mean, I'm still scratching my head about this pick. Eric, you can probably speak on this a little bit more. I think the big thing is they were looking specifically for a special teamer and the returners went off the board pretty early. I mean, uh, Vilas Jones was drafted early third round. Marcus Jones was drafted early third round. Poof. There goes the two big kick returners, punt returners in this class. And you get somebody who can still do it. Yeah, but yeah, this is one that I am definitely scratching my head on. And I guess I'll tip my hat to Dwayne Stukes if it's a hit because nobody saw that one coming, but I think it's very much a lot of the ownership of that pick is going to be on the special teams coach. One thing I absolutely love about this pick is that, Everyone else is really rubbing their hands of it, and it's it's Dwayne Stukes. It's all yeah. on him. If he fails, it's on Stukes. If he hits, Stukes just made him himself some money. In, in yeah. my opinion, like it's been hard to find tape of his. Obviously, that Florida game that was exciting. Um, he had a huge day on that, but he doesn't seem as fast as people expect, and or as quick. And I really value quickness as a returner, being able to make people miss. And two guys that they signed as undrafted free agents, I think, offer up so much more to the team and as returners than Montreal Washington. Jalen Virgil and then um, Davis, I think, was the other one, the other one's last name. I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, both of them, I think, offer so much more. I mean, Davis is so quick, and he's got really good speed. And uh, doesn't offer up as much as a, on uh, offense, yeah. which Montreal Washington, I mean, outside of gadget plays, he's not really offering up much. Jalen Virgil, I think, can be a good threat on offense as that fourth or fifth receiver with some development. His routes are pretty solid. And one thing that stood out is he's not afraid to mix it up as a run blocker as well, which is something that we've talked about before as starting to value from your receivers is that blocking ability. And he's very quick and explosive as a returner. So it's we'll see how it works out but it's definitely a Dwayne Stukes' guy. Yeah, absolutely. Travis Weber saying, I hope Judy worked on his catching. I know that was an issue for him besides being injured. I mean, Jerry Judy is very good at getting open over the middle of the field, but something at Alabama that was going to be a question for him coming out was the ability to handle contested catches. And uh, that's not going to change with Russell Wilson. Uh, so that's going to be something to watch for here. Yes, hopefully works on his catching, but it's something about like the grip strength as well and the ability to concentrate when you know you're going to get hit. That... We'll know it when we see it, but uh, it's pretty hard to say from here. Yeah, and I think that with Jerry Judy, I mean, the issues with his drops are being a little overblown at this point. Major issue his rookie year. Dropped 12 passes, though, what, five or six of them came in one game? Hmm. Um, but last year, he only dropped two, which yep. out, of, out of 38, not ideal. 
Um, but it's not terrible either. Yeah. Uh, he went from being one of the worst guys with dropping the ball 18.8% to 5%. So, I mean, that's, that's fair. Um, he definitely made improvements, but there's still room to grow with those contested catches and just doing a little bit more to secure the catch at the catch point. And one thing we're noting is that a drop is where the, I mean, they drop it. The defender doesn't make a play on the ball. And last year there was quite a few instances where I saw people screaming for a drop from him, but it was the defender just made a good play. Yeah. Absolutely. I want to get to this one from free earth citizen. Cause I want him to a chance to defend himself here. Comping Nick Benito to Rashawn Gary, Boston mean star pass rusher for the Packers. I can't think of a different body type and how a player wins from Nick Benito to Rashawn Gary. Rashawn Gary compares to like Trevon Walker, who was defensive end defensive tackle. I don't know, but he's massively long and powerful needs to learn how to bend and be a speed ra- speed rusher. Uh, but I think this is, you know, different ways to win, but I would not compare Benito at all to Rashawn Gary. I think the comps for Benito that have stuck out in my head that make a lot of sense are Bruce Irvin. Uh, that one's a very good one. When I first watched him, I saw Hassan Reddick as a possibility there. And that's kind of another one that makes some sense. Shane Ray is unfortunately one that makes some sense as sense as well, being a wide nine player who doesn't really use his hands very well um, as a pass rusher and a, a edge setter. So that's something as uh, to watch out for uh, any other comps here. I'd, not to put you on blast for your decision. You have a lot of good content. I just think that that's like, I could not see a totally different player. Like Rashawn Gary played three technique for Michigan, just go penetrate and get up field uh, like that way. And if you're asking Benito 240 pounds compared to Rashawn Gary was like at 280 night and day. Yeah. yeah I mean, Rashawn Gary's length, height, weight is just great. I mean, he plays at like 270 with the Packers. He went yeah. into the combine way and I believe just a hair under 280, like 279 or something had really good length. Did really well with his testing, too. If I remember right, almost every single testing was 80th percentile or higher. Whereas Nick Benito was sub 250, not great arm length. I mean, 32 and a half is fine, not ideal. It's basically right there on that benchmark that you want for edges. 33 is 33 is ideal, though. And his testing was I mean, his testing was fine. Um, The lowest were his his broad jump and three cone drill where he was at 76 percentile. So he's fine. I mean, he shows that. He has that athleticism and he was able to show it. But Rashawn Gary, I mean, he had the strength and he had the power too. And that is not Nick Benito's game. Yeah. Nope. Any other comparisons there? So obviously Bruce Irvin, Hassan Reddick, uh, Shane Ray. Those are some names that stick out. Oh, Vic Beasley. Another one. Maybe uh, he tested very similarly to Harold Landry. I think he's twitcher, uh, twitchier than Harold Landry was coming out. I think Harold Landry actually had even better bend, which uh, Benito has pretty well. But I mean, there's some good company there um, for Benito that, could work in a role. Is he ever going to be a full-time starter, a first and second down, which considering it's a passing league on first down in today's NFL, you know, that's, that's a limitation, but there's a reason he fell to pick 64, right? The ability the bend, the speed, the twitch, that's all going to have an impact. I think talk about the floor and the ceiling. Benito, I think does have a high floor somewhat because that speed rush, there's always going to be value for that. There's going to be a demand for the ability on third down to get after the passer, uh, but how much more can he do on first and second down? That's, that's the big question. Um, but any other comparisons for you? Um, I think with, with his floor, I think the issue is that a knee injury, knock on wood that it doesn't happen, could really hit that. Like yep. th- That's one reason why I say a, say a low floor is because injuries can easily pop it out. And I mean, Shane Ray was the one I was going to throw out there because talking to quite a few people, that was one that I got a lot. Um, one guy saying a more athletic, less injured Shane Ray. Um, another one that I heard a lot, and it's strictly in play style. They, the people that I spoke to on this, they made it very clear they're not talking body or uh, 
length or anything like that. Leonard Floyd, because there's a lot mm-hmm. that a lot of people that believe that Nick Benito he can be this capable pass rusher or drop into coverage, but there's going to be issues yeah. against the run. And I mean, talking to again talking to a few people, a lot of them said is this is Evero's Leonard Floyd for in Denver. Okay, cool. Well, definitely going to be a lot of uh, dropping in coverage with Benito on that edge, which is one reason I'm not freaking out so much about. Uh, Baron Brown needs to add more to his pass rush. Makes me think that who's coming or going, Benito or Baron Brown. We're going to play a lot of games with those two as far as pass rush. Uh, Peter coming in saying, happy Eric Saubert is back. Hope he sticks with the team. Could be four tight ends stick on this team. The Broncos use two starting tight ends or more. Big question will be what they do with wide receivers and tight ends. Uh, I think they kept five wide receivers last year, but I don't see Montrell Washington factoring at all as a wide receiver, given his skill set and body type. So uh, that's one that uh, we'll see. Uh, I don't know. What do you think here? Four tight ends? I think it's definitely possible, especially considering one of them is probably going to be a fullback slash tight end type. I, I think four. Your three main tight ends in that one hybrid. And I think that hybrid aspect is where you're looking at Tomlinson. Yep. Um, and uh, Jeremy coming in here real quick. Uh, people being really critical of Benito pick. I mean, we're going to be critical of all the Broncos picks, but he's the first one. Um, and I'm okay. More okay with the pick. The more I think about it, the main point being fell to 64 is obviously going to be flawed. Um, but uh, he was PFF's 38th overall player. And we got him at 64. See a lot of potential. Let's get him a chance to develop. This is something as well that I think uh, maybe just let me get on a soapbox here for one second or a bandbox, whatever you want to call it. The analytics loving Nick Benito a lot. The college game is not as, translatable across all games being played as it is in the NFL. So when you see like a guy like pass rush win rate or whatever in the NFL compared to his peers, that's totally different than a guy playing in PAC 12 football versus the sec versus, you know, big 12, uh, the Oklahoma Sooners used a three, three, five stack defense with their front seven being tasked to do a lot of penetrating and slanting, uh, to get in the backfield. So Nick Benito had a lot of tackles in the backfield. It wasn't because he was reading it and making the play. It's because he was arriving back there because his, his job was to penetrate a singular gap and get into the backfield and disrupt. That was one of the issues that like Perrion Winfrey, what's he going to do at the next level? He's playing nose tackle in a weird role that he's not going to use in the NFL. So that's one thing where like, yes, he did uh, get a lot of pressures and whatnot, but he also had a lot of his assignments were far easier and I think more aligning to what his skill set is. And there's no team in the NFL that is using that three, three, five slanting style defense that you saw out there in the big 12 with Alex Grinch in Oklahoma. So um, I think the analytics for Benito tend to make artificially inflate him because of what his asks and assignments were specifically in the parameters of that defense. Yeah. And on that note, I mean, you kind of touched on it is, you're not playing consistently the competent level of competition that you will in the NFL. That is a major boost to analytics for college football. I mean, you go on from Tulane to Nebraska. I mean, these are games that he had a high, more than five hurries on it. Nebraska, they don't have a draft. I mean, they don't have a draft caliber offensive tackle on there. They have a couple guys that I think are eligible this next year. Neither one of them are expected to get drafted. Tulane has tackles that aren't expected to get drafted. Actually, I think both their tackles were seniors this last year, and neither of them got drafted or signed as undrafted free agents. Yeah, Texas they have they have a couple caliber, uh, good caliber offensive linemen. He managed to get eight pressures on there, four of them hurries. So he he did all right. Texas Tech he had a pretty solid game against them, but it, same thing. The tackle call the quality of tackle there isn't ideal. Iowa State, Oklahoma State, both of them have a uh, I believe a offensive tackle that's expected to get drafted next year. But, I mean, you look at guys, TCU, he got three. He got completely shut down by o- o- Obena Ease, who was in the draft this year that went undrafted. Yeah. So, 
analytics like it's great but it has some issues with it about who you have to play and it's not saying that nick benito's bad it's just that there's only a certain amount of um weight you can put on analytics coming from college football and you're definitely right on that. I guess my point was more so that Benito wasn't tasked to read yeah. and react, you know, play the run and then yeah. rush the passer. It was your job, regardless, pass or run, is to penetrate this gap and be in the backfield. So mm-hmm. no dip. You're going to end up with a better pressure rate when that's your singular task, which I don't know how translatable yeah. that is. Obviously, the tools and whatnot that he shows on tape are translatable. That actual role, I think, greatly uh, inflates his um analytics that's why something like pff or cynthia freundland's uh data tend to favor benito more than what i think tr- is translatable to the field uh let's get into it and c chang called us outside saying you guys just gonna talk about benito and dulcich what about the rest of it we're, let's get to it now i know we're already 45 <laughs> minutes long but they're having fun with it um we're gonna talk about guys that the broncos could potentially trade here and uh, eric i'm gonna let you lead it i did put it in the chat here we can kind of talk about it and you can clump some of these guys together if you want um so we also have phil coming in first saying does anyone know where i can find a ticket price for the london game uh, not me. I have no idea. Eric, you have any thoughts? I have no idea yep. on that at the moment. Ask up. I bet you Scott could look it up or yeah, hit us up after the show. Um, nope, no Scott. Okay. Um, but uh, probably on NFL.com or any of the ticket exchange websites as well. I don't even know if the tickets are on sale yet. Uh, that could be another thing. Yeah. So, because uh, the schedule hasn't been officially announced. Um, so let's get to it first, Eric. I'll let you lead well, about the driving of the uh, the topic here. Real quick, since this was before we move on here, Jeremy coming in and every college player getting drafted will see tough competition in the NFL. Just saying, yeah, that's definitely true. And that's a big reason why so many stars in college end up failing at the NFL level. Um, so that's, I mean, that goes right there. Doesn't as being successful in college doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be successful in the NFL. Hopefully, Nick Benito ends up proving Nick and I wrong and ends up successful because that is the best thing for the Broncos. And we're both Bronco fans, we both want the Broncos to do well. Peter Middleton says, who is the star of this draft that we'll look back on and go, wow, how did he drop to the Broncos? Um, I think Damari Mathis. As much as I love Uwazirike, I think Mathis is going to be the guy that surprises everyone with how, in comparison to where he went. Oh, man, I just don't see any of the superstar type of athletes or profiles that make sense for that kind of thing. Um, Mathis is the one who would stick out for me as well, but the rest, I guess – because of the position he plays, the versatility, the smoothness, and with good quarterback, maybe we'll talk about Greg Dulcich. Uh, that's somebody who would interest me there that could – maybe not – I don't think he's going to be, you know, George Kittle or Travis Kelsey, but he could be a very good player there. So uh, go ahead, Eric. Some of these players, lead us off of the topic, and uh, let's let's write it on through and write it on home. So getting into the topic for the last few minutes here is talking about guys at the bottom of the depth chart that with this draft class, with undrafted free agents, with new coaching staff – Maybe they're not viewed as favorably as they were under the old the old blood that Denver had. Um, we talked about Natani Moody. We talked about um, Tyree Cleveland, Jamar Johnson a little bit, Justin Sernod. But speaking of tight end and Greg Dulcich, I find it a little interesting that with their comments of a skill set we don't really have, maybe this coaching staff isn't as high on Albert Okwebenam as they kind of led us on to believe because after they traded Noah Fant, there was a lot of thing of like, oh, we really like Albert O. We believe that he can be something. And that was a lot of the chatter coming out of there as well, which is why they were fine moving him. Maybe they don't view him as favorably. And then there's Andrew Beck as well, bringing in Greg Dulcich, Eric Tomlinson, Eric Sobert back. Maybe they could sit there and maybe one of those two guys are, you know, looking at being on the way out. Yeah, for me, I just want to see what Albert Okoye looks like, but I think that, it's not as much that the team doesn't like 
Okoye-Vanamets that they don't like him at tight end. <laughs> I think that is the bottom line here. I think you're going to see him more in that Alan Lazard role uh, for this the offense than what you saw with a classic inline role. Alan Lazard played, went to Iowa State, has a tight end wide receiver hybrid, you know, that big slot option. He can press the seam pretty well. And he can block well for a wide receiver. Uh, that's, I think you can see Albert Okoye on being used very similarly, you know, the big slot when you want to play Judy at Z or not have Judy out there. And uh, he can come back and, you know, crack a linebacker in space or come down and take a safety that's coming downhill to help fill against the run and to offer you something there from the big slot option, especially if you're trying to get teams to create a little bit more space, uh, either in the middle of the field, if they want to play a, uh, Dying package against Alberto Cuevanum. Okay, we'll run against you, and he's going to crack that one linebacker or safety there. If you want to match up against him and be heavier, uh, then you can throw and create space elsewhere. So I, I think that you could see Okoyebinam being traded for some of that extra capital that Peyton says that he wants for next year. But also, it could be Okoyebinam is not a tight end, but they still love him as a valuable chess piece type. Yeah, definitely, and it's one where I think I think he'll make the roster. And if they trade him, it's the same thing as Jerry Judy. I think they might trade him around the trade deadline, depending on how Greg Dulcich is doing, depending on views of Russell Wilson. Yep. And one thing with Albert O that to factor into is that health has been a factor for him, yep. and he hasn't has had some issues staying on the field. Now the other one, Andrew Beck, I'm a little bit curious about because the old coaching staff seemed to love him. He was again viewed as a key piece on a special teams unit that wasn't very good a specialized niche role on it that I think that Eric Tomlinson fills extremely well and actually better than I think Eric Tomlinson is a much superior blocker than Andrew Beck is. And I think they've done enough to help on special teams and Eric Tomlinson's no slouch on special team special teams either. This is one of those guys that I look at and I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't see you making it with the new staff. Yeah, absolutely. And Travis coming in saying, I see, can't see the live chat. Don't know what's going on, but uh, we're here. We're hanging out. Uh, great show tonight, guys. Wish you a great Friday night. Enjoy your weekend. Wishing your mom's happy Mother's Day. Yeah, we'll be live again tomorrow as well. And uh, don't have a topic just yet. See Chang saying, hey, what's going on? What about the rest of the draft? Uh, maybe Eric and I can talk a little bit more day three tomorrow. So make sure you're coming in and asking us questions uh, specifically about these guys as well, because we want the interaction uh, with you guys to talk about that. So I'm um, keeping it going here. You mentioned Andrew Beck. I don't think they're going to get anything for Andrew Beck as a trade. Um, you might be able to get like a, a fifth round pick for Okoye Benam. Uh, but I don't think you're going to get much more than that. He still does have two years of control, which matters um, for some of these guys. Uh, but I could see he's about the only one there that would bring any value. And I don't think, obviously, you're not going to trade Dulcich just drafting him. I would be shocked if they trade Tomlinson or Saubert as well. Saubert was available until yesterday. You know, he's not going to have yeah. uh, high value. And uh, Tomlinson you brought in. So if anybody's being moved out of that tight end room, it's probably Okoye Benam. But it would have to be, the juice would have to be worth the squeeze to get rid of him. I think with Beck, if you see him traded, I think cut is far more likely with him. Yeah. If you see him traded, it'd be a situation of like, we're going to send you Beck and our seventh round pick to a team that is expected to have a higher seventh round pick or even a sixth round pick. Yeah. Um, and just try to move up just that little bit and uh, Beck be that extra piece simply because they don't want to have to deal with him trying to get him off of waivers or anything. But yeah, he's definitely one that I don't see making the roster. Um, and then moving to the defensive backs, have your favorite guy here. I mean, absolute favorite corner, Asang Bossy. I don't think he has trade value, but he's another one of those guys that I don't see him making this roster. Yeah, he's not not athletic enough. Uh, just can't hang in space. Just can't cover. You know, they're, they crossing route him to death. Can't do it. Um, so smart guy. Maybe he moves to more of a safety spot, but I don't even think he's got the chops to hang athletically at safety. Uh, so because he couldn't at slot. So we'll see. I don't think you're going to be able to get anything for him. Um, but 
Broncos traded Kerry Vincent Jr. after taking him in the seventh round last year for a sixth round pick. So who knows? Uh, maybe uh, Peyton will pull off some wizard wizardry. Um, we, we have a few more names here that we wanted to get into. Um, you had uh, Tyree Cleveland and Seth Williams. Do you think either of these guys are making the roster? I don't, you maybe can get a, you know, let's say we send Seth Williams and a 2024 seven for a 2023 seven, if you want to kind of boost up that value a year earlier. Uh, but I don't think you're going to get much value for these guys. I know that Seth Williams went in the sixth round, but uh, last year I think he was even on the practice squad. Nobody claimed him. So why would somebody want to trade capital for him now when he's one year less of control? Yeah, definitely. And it's a, and same thing with Cleveland is at this point, I just don't see that there's a value for trading for him. Um, going to safeties. There's two that I actually think that could have some value on the trade market for with the way we're seeing safeties kind of evolve and change PJ Locke and Jamar Johnson, Jamar Johnson didn't get to see the field last year. And many would argue that Denver was pretty, pretty stacked at it. And PJ Locke, he took the field and he wasn't terrible. Um, both of them or PJ Locke played well on special teams. He's one of the few ones. So with what Denver has done at the safety position, I don't think both of them make it, but I think that one of them could, and maybe there it's one that you can get like, okay, yeah. We'll just get a seventh round pick out of you and just move you on. Yeah. Interesting to move on from Jamar Johnson so quickly. Obviously he had the sick bug uh, last year, which impacted his play. Um, but the usage of drafting a Turner yell and uh fit the seventh round pick is fit. The Wisconsin guy his name is escaping me right now. Hicks. Uh, Hicks. Yes. The first name is like fix. No, that's not it. Hicks. Um, <laughs> Uh, that kind of maybe a gauntlet thrown for Jamar Johnson as well. What do you see the odds of maybe getting value for him in a trade? Obviously somebody who made a, a career game against Justin Fields and that Ohio state team picking him off, I think two times or three times in that game. Um, any value for him or what's his pathway to the field? Because obviously the gauntlet has been thrown down uh, with the Broncos draft picks. And well, with Johnson, I think that he's a very niche player as in he's got potential in coverage, but that's it. Yeah. He's not he's not very physical coming downhill against the run. He's not good coming downhill against the run either, consistently in hitting the wrong hole. Yeah. Just a bunch of issues with him. But he's shown his value to be in the right place in coverage. And teams are we're starting to see it at corner. I mean, Trayvon Diggs yeah. talking about him and how valued he is. I think he's vastly overrated. But how many interceptions did he have? How many touchdowns did he allowed? Did he have? And I can't remember who it was. There was a couple of general managers that I think it was on to in an article to the athletic they're talking about it that if as long as you're making enough plays to cover up for your issues on defense we're going to be more willing to put you out there on the field yeah and jamar johnson kind of has that potential to be and maybe is able to get like i said a seventh round pick for that thing of we just we're just looking at you kind of fill out this niche role yeah, no, absolutely. And we'll see how that one plays out. Safety is going to be a fun position to watch the battling out there. Uh, we already talked about Moody. Quinn Bailey. Why'd you write down Quinn Bailey? Quinn, Quinn Bailey's not going to get us any draft capital here. Come on. Um, but saying Bassey, PJ Locke, the ones well, that interest me here, you wrote down Mike Purcell. You think Mike Purcell is going to have any trade value? He's obviously a little bit more expensive, not as young, doesn't have many years of control left, and the last few years have not been good after injury. Okay, so... The an initial plan of this thing was is that we're gonna keep him, cut him, or trade him. So uh, Quinn Bailey was one Quinn Bailey is one of those guys that maybe they have value in keeping him around or they cut him, not so much exactly trade. No. And Mike Purcell is kind of is kind of one of those ones that maybe a team that wants a big interior defensive lineman is willing to take it on. 
or take on his contract. I don't think it's super terrible if a team trades for him. Um, I can't remember exactly off the top of my head the details of it. I know it's pretty bad for Denver, um, which trading him, Denver would eat some of it. But maybe for like a seventh-round pick, Denver could potentially move on from him. I know that they, there's interest in it. They, I think this whole speculation of DJ Jones is the Shelby Harris replacement is officially put to bed. Mm-hmm. Um, he's definitely the nose tackle. He's definitely the Mike Purcell replacement. Mike Purcell is definitely on his way out. It's just a matter of how. Yeah, that's a great call. I'm I'm interested in that one. I will see how it plays out. Um, you wrote, I can't imagine Purcell even making the roster given his age and injuries and whatnot and the, the way they've attacked those positions. But we'll see a few more names here that uh, going to put you a little bit more on a spot. Uh, what about McTelvin Ajim? You didn't write him down, but he's one who has not seen the field. They drafted two guys to play his position. They brought back Deshaun Williams. Uh, obviously, McTelvin Ajim got a lot of hype last year again after the quarterback in preseason, um, but hasn't really seen his way to the field. And he's one that did well, even when his time on the field during the regular season. He did pretty well getting after the quarterback. I think he had a much higher pressure rate and higher effectiveness than um, Shamar Stevens did. Mm-hmm. And I think that was a big issue that a lot of people had is, oh, he's better than him. Shamar Stevens was a much better run defender, and that seems to still be an issue with the regime. Looking at the depth on the defensive line, even with Henningsen and Awuzarike, I still think Ajim has a chance to make this roster as a, like that fifth or sixth guy there. And that typically is how many you want to, you want to keep just because for pass rushing, um, uh, pass rushing packages, your NASCAR packages, he still offers up something there. Yeah, no, that's a good point there. Do you think that, uh, you know, only two years of control left, let's say somebody comes calling and offers you a four for him though. Um, four and you can send back Hicks. Do you take that all day? Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I take that all day. I mean, I, if a team came calling for a even a six, I'd be willing to move a gene personally. Okay. Uh, just because we haven't seen enough to really, for lack of a better way, to have that loyalty to them. We haven't seen enough for it. Yep. Absolutely. And a few more interesting ones here. Uh, what about, we've a lot of Jerry Judy talk. What about KJ Hamler? Uh, KJ Hamler, I think, is going to be a big part of this offense. You want to add some speed, but he's had issues with injuries. Um, And you have a lot of, you need capital next year. And how many mouths can you actually feed? What is KJ Hamler's role compared to? I think he's a TJ Lockett for the Seattle, but what is he in the Nathaniel Hackett offense? Uh, so th- what about TJ uh, KJ Hamler? I don't think KJ Hamler has much trade value simply because of the injuries. We've barely got to see him on the field over the last two years. I mean, he had that lingering hammy issue, and then he had that um, what ACL, MCL against the New York Jets. I can't remember exactly what it was. Um, so I'd... I'd I don't think that we see uh, much value from him. I think that he's one that they'll want to try to rebuild the value during the season. I think they have a um, very uh, specific way they want to use him from what I've heard. Mm-hmm. They like his his rehab and how well he's progressing. And early expectations are is that he'll be back well in time for the regular season. I mean, just about a month or two ago, it was, oh, he should be back in time for it. Now they think final week of training camp, he should be given the all clear for it. He's definitely putting in the work to come back. Um, and as I said, I think he has a niche role in it. Kind of this, maybe using a little bit more wide receiver screens, using his speed mm-hmm. and quickness, which that's how I've always liked KJ Hamler more or to be used more instead of just as take the top off the guy off the defense, run as fast as you can kind of thing that we saw a lot from Pat Shermer. We'll see how it goes. But this year, I just don't think he has value on the trade market. 
Yeah, no, and the last one I want to get to here, Malik Reed. A lot of sacks the last few years, but the Broncos brought in a super version of Malik Reed. Malik Reed, they didn't offer him anything beyond the original Aaron Tender. Uh, I think the Broncos would be happy uh, to move on from him. Is there? Do you think there is a possible market out there for him? Obviously, pass rush is one of those ones that has a premium and uh, just one year of control left, but he has had sacks, so I think which has some return. We have seen over the last few years production, even if they're not the best best edge rushers we've seen production get players paid yeah um so i think that one year of cost control i think they'll be fine with it i don't think i mean i don't i'm not expecting a day two day one pick obviously yeah but i think you could possibly squeeze out a fourth or fifth round pick for malik Reed, which would be tremendous value in return because of yeah. the production and the experience he has yeah absolutely and anybody else that sticks out to you here um going over the roster are there any super surprises like maybe a Baron Browning, you know, last year he was very good. I would not do that for the life of me, but you know, talking about him moving to edge now and uh, paying Alex Singleton, how much they've been hyping him playing linebacker Jonas Griffith as well, getting some little hype behind the scenes. Is there any thoughts on that one? Um, I don't think Baron Browning will have much value on the trade market. It sounds like that they really want to get him on the field and find a way to use him and kind of use him to the best of his abilities with his versatile skill set that he has. I mean, everybody's hounding about moving positions and everything. Well, in college at Ohio State, he played this hybrid role, and it seems to be that's what they're just kind of looking to do this year. Yeah. One name that I think could be a surprise move is Michael Ojemudia or Josie mm. Jewell. Or is there anyone else from Iowa on the roster? No, <laughs> not anymore. But in all seriousness, I could see possibly see Michael Ojemudia. If he doesn't take the step up that they want to see, maybe try to – move him on get a little something in return for him um i don't think it personally happens and i don't really want it to happen i like michael jamudia i still think he can be a solid corner in the nfl um but one that kind of like a gym if somebody comes calling then you listen and you want to hear what they're what they have to offer yeah, and wolf wolf's guy coming in saying i really like damari mathis love to see him beat out darby i i want to see damari mathis if he can even beat out ojamudia uh, Ujimudi last year only really played one game, um, but that week 17 game, he was he was awesome, actually. I mean, maybe I'm, the Iowa sweatshirts uh, bleeding into my veins and my brain a little bit here, but uh, I thought he was great in that game, and you mentioned and heard as well uh, that uh, Rams were interested in drafting him in that uh, 2020 draft as well, and now he's here with the former defensive back coach of the Rams from that period. So mm-hmm. I think if anybody has a chance to be a Darby this cycle, I, I think it's more likely to be Ojimudi uh, than Darby, mm-hmm. but probably you can – you know, wait a few weeks. Darby's probably going to get dinged up because he's missed a lot of games to injuries in his career. And I think with that too, you mentioned it with the Rams earlier playing so much off zone coverage last year, the Broncos shifted to a lot more man. They ran the most man coverage in the NFL last year, according to um, what is it? Football sis. I think is what it Sports is. Info solutions. That was two yeah. years ago, wasn't it? No, when I was looking at it pre-draft, it was for 2021. You'll have to show me that data because I know they did that a lot in 2020 because they got so injured at yep. uh, the cornerback position. That's like, okay, well, it's harder to play man, but if you don't have chemistry with the guys around you and knowing the playbook, it's easier to say man up versus the complicated match quarters and stuff that you yep. have to do on the back end. Uh, so, all right, well, we can talk a little bit more tomorrow. Obviously, Eric and I are going to be joining you again. Um, but uh, do you want to drive us on out, or do you need? Do you want me to do that? You can go ahead. All right. Well, guys, make sure you're following us on Twitter. Um, Eric is at Eric Trickle. I'm at Nick Kendall MHH. Also, make sure you're following Scott at Scout Kennedy, uh, working behind the scenes here. Eric and I are going to be live again with you guys tomorrow. So if you have anything you want us to talk about, 
hit us up on Twitter. Uh, we're open for suggestions. It's still draft season, so I think we maybe should start going over some of the grades as well on anything we picked up from the post-draft uh, press conferences and digging more into that. Also, make sure you're following us at DVD underscore pod and at Mile High Huddle. If you haven't done so yet, join our Facebook communities at facebook.com forward slash Mile High Huddle and facebook.com forward slash Mile High Huddle pod. If you haven't done so yet, find us on Apple Podcasts, the Huddle Up Podcast. Uh, scroll down, leave us a five-star review and comment. And please, if you're joining us on YouTube, like, subscribe, and share to this channel. And uh, you'll know when we go live tomorrow. So what's the rest of the night looking for you, Eric? Uh, what are you doing? Doing some compressing about what you saw at Doctor Strange? Um, I mean, I'm going to I'm gonna try to think about it a little bit. Um, a good friend of mine, he's seen it tonight, and he's much more the into the comic book aspect. So I'm here, mm-hmm. curious to hear his opinion of it when it comes to the comics. Yeah. For me, it's probably going to be go eat and then spend some time with the wife playing Lego Star Wars. Yeah, no, absolutely. That'll be fun. I'm going to cook dinner and uh, hopefully early bed because I'm still exhausted from last week. But thank you guys so much for joining us. We're going to be talking again tomorrow um, and uh, hopefully we'll have a good time. And uh, see, say they like to see the video comp- uh, conference video of everything from the Broncos. I don't think we can put out uh, the, behind the Broncos video on here without getting you no know, copyright infringement. Uh, <laughs> but we'll definitely have a chance to talk about some of that stuff and plenty more tomorrow. Make sure you guys are tuning in same time, same place and uh, choose kindness, choose compassion. Go Broncos. You've been listening to the Huddle Up! Podcast. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com to keep the conversation going.